Welcome to Inspiration with Ike. I'm Dr. Ike Reichert, Senior Pastor of Piedmont Church and CEO of Must Ministries. On this podcast, I'll bring you a monthly dose of inspiration in the most important areas of your life. It's my sincere hope that this show will serve as a resource to you and inspire you, helping you to become your personal and professional best. Have you ever wanted something so badly that the thought of having it absolutely consumed your every waking moment and even your sleeping dreams? Well, I have. I was 11 years old and the object of my desire was a brand new Schwinn Tiger bicycle. On this episode, I'll be sharing one of my most precious Christmas memories. It's the story of a father's sacrifice, but more than that, It's a story of moving from entitlement to the kind of gratitude that never goes away. And it just might change the way that you look at giving and receiving for the rest of your life. This is Inspiration with Ike. Hello, I'm Ike Reichert, and welcome to Inspiration with Ike. You know, we're in the holiday season. It's right about Christmas time. And there's so many different memories that are always connected to Christmas. I don't know what your favorite memories are, but I have a few in my life that I want to be able to share with you today. But I think one of the things that I love about Christmas so much is that Christmas illustrates the three great stages of life when you think about it. You know, the first stage of your life is you believe in Santa Claus. And then you reach a stage where you don't believe in Santa Claus. And then you reach another stage where you find out, oh, dear Lord, I am Santa Claus. And I've actually added a fourth stage. You begin to look remarkably like Santa Claus. And so with all the emphasis on gifts and giving during the holidays, it's very easy to become focused on ourselves and just thinking about what we're going to get or what we're going to be able to experience during those holidays. And I had a profound life change. As a matter of fact, if you ask me to look at my life and to go back and to pull out a particular event that helped to shape my philosophy of life at an early age, it wouldn't be hard for me to do it all. It would go back to the year that I was 11 years old, and I was growing up in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. And I loved growing up in downtown because you could go down to the Fox Theater on your bicycle. You could do just about anything. You could ride out to the zoo. There was Atlanta was kind of a, a large, small town in those days. And we had a little section up the street from us there in Atlanta that was called Bellwood. It's an area now where Georgia Tech has continued to expand and is there on that particular piece of property in that area. And so I'm 11 years old, and I'm going with my mother to a department store. And that department store was called Sunshines. And I was pretty excited about going that day because they had a toy section. My mother was going to go look at some clothes. And so while she went to look for the clothes, I went to look for the toys. And this was the first day that I fell in love. Didn't fall in love with a sales girl. I fell in love with a Schwinn Tiger bicycle. At 11 years old, my life changed. As a matter of fact, when I think about it, it was like that bicycle had halogen light shining down on it. It just looked like the best looking bike that I'd ever seen in my life. And immediately, I knew 
that I needed to have this bike and that it could be my Christmas gift for that year. So I went up to the bike, and in those days, you didn't have the barcodes um, where you would scan it. In those days, you would just have a cord hanging down, and there would be a tag at the end of that cord. And on one side, it had the logo for Sunshine's Department Store. And on the other side, it had the price of the bicycle. And when I looked at the price of the bicycle, I thought there could be a slight problem here, uh, being able to get my mother to agree to the price that I was looking at. So I took the cord and I started twisting the cord so that the price tag didn't show in her direction, only the logo of the store. And so I thought, I'm going to go get my mom. If I can get her to commit to this before she knows the price of it, then I'm going to have her committed to something and I'm going to be able to get this bike for Christmas. So very quickly, I ran from the toy section, found my mother, started badgering her half to death to get over to the toy department and to see what I had discovered that day. And so when my mother came into the toy department and she walked up to the bike and a cord was hanging down with the logo on it, every mom knows exactly what happened next. She flipped the cord around. She looked at the price of the bike and she started laughing she said, Ike, there is no way under the sun that you're going to get this bike for Christmas. And I remember very distinctively, she said, your father doesn't make that kind of money. You see, my dad worked in rock quarries, and it was very hard work that he did. And he would work Monday through Saturday every week of his life. And it was backbreaking work. And every day when he would come home, particularly in the summer months, it was like we would have to hose him down in the yard because of all the rock dust that he would have on him. And so my dad worked hard, very hard, backbreaking work, and he didn't get paid a lot of money. And my mother was trying to put our situation, personal family situation, into perspective by saying, don't get your hopes locked on something like this, because this is not a gift that we can really afford. But I'm a salesman, as you probably know, and so I immediately started trying to upsell her on this proposition. And so the first thing that I gave up, now this is around April or May of the year that I'm 11 years old, and I immediately give up all of my rights to any kind of a present for my birthday. Now, I'm not being nearly as altruistic as it might sound at first because my birthday is in the month of December. And anyone who's been born in the month of December knows that people will rip you off when it comes to your birthday. They will tell you things like this. Well, we just kind of rolled your birthday and your Christmas present together. No, you didn't, you cheapskate. You ripped me off of a present along the way, and now you're trying to convince me that you bought a more expensive item. Can you tell that I'm still in therapy over this issue after all of these years? And so I tried to upsell her on the idea that if you don't buy me a birthday present. And then I tried to upsell her on the idea of what if I do not eat between now and Christmas? Because I actually at that moment thought I could pretty much make it there. It's only about six months away and I could probably, you know, make that jump. But 
my mom never backed up, not even for a second, not even for one moment, did she ever even give me a glimmer of hope that somehow, some way, that I was going to be able to get that Schwinn Tiger bicycle. I mean, man, it had the little plastic things hanging down from the handlebars. It looked great. It had a little houndstooth pattern on it. It had white wall tires. It just was absolutely perfect for me. So I set out to wear my mother down. So over those next few months, and my father for that matter, every chance I would get, I would remind them, the only thing that I want for Christmas is a Schwinn Tiger bicycle. Don't buy me anything else. Don't worry about the birthday present. And I kept thinking that somehow, some way, that they were going to get the message and they were going to understand how important that bicycle really was for me. So in our family, when it came Christmas Eve, and the evening is when we would open up our presents. So long about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I announced with great fanfare that I was getting ready to go play football with my buddies down at our local park, Knight Park. And so uh, I did it with a, again with a flourish to let everyone know in the house, hey, I'm getting ready to leave, going to head to the park. I won't be back till it's time to open up the presents. And I left the house, and I went to go play football with my buddies, and here's what I believed with every fiber of my being, that when I came in from playing football, that I was going to open up the door, that I was going to look over at the Christmas tree, and the bike was going to be there, and it would be positioned just perfectly around the tree, and I would gasp in surprise and say, oh, I can't believe that you bought it, when I fully well believed that that bike was going to be there. So we finished playing the ball game. I came home. I can remember how my little heart was trip hammering as I was getting ready to open the door because I'm telling you, there was not a sliver of doubt in my mind that that bike was going to be underneath our tree. Now, I know that today that there's some baby boomers that are listening, and baby boomers will understand this because that year we had the most natural tree that we ever had in our home. It was made out of silver tinsel, just like they grow in a forest somewhere. And that tree with silver tinsel was placed into a music stand that would rotate the tree and play a music carol as it was going around. And we also had a light wheel with four primary colors that were on that light wheel. And the light wheel would revolve and the tree would revolve. And you could have absolutely have a seizure in the corner of our living room with all the light motion movement that was going on. And so when I opened up that door and I looked to that tree that was all lit up, immediately I noticed that there was not a bicycle. As a matter of fact, if you looked at all the presents under the tree, and there were four of us in my family as siblings, and then my mom and dad, each person would get three gifts. And I'm looking and thinking, even if they did not assemble the bicycle, we're missing some really big parts here, like handlebars or tires or something. And I'm trying to assess this situation. And here's what had happened. My parents did not buy me the Schwinn Tiger bicycle. I've had people ask me over the years, were you disappointed, Ike? 
No, I was way beyond disappointed. I was livid because you see that bicycle was something I was supposed to have. It was something that I had made very, very clear to everyone around. This is exactly what I want. And now I'm standing there in that little tiny living room at 1097 Longley Avenue, just off of Marietta Street. And I am so angry. We got our three presents, each one of us, and we walked into our little kitchen because we didn't have a dining room. All all we had was a kitchen. And so we walked from one room into the next, and my mother decided to be extremely rude by asking me, how did I like my presents? Yeah, can you believe that? I mean, that kind of rudeness just should not be tolerated. And so I was very aggravated. Uh, They had gotten me, they told me it was a leather bomber jacket. Truth is, I don't think it was real leather. I think it was some kind of plethora or plastic or something, naugahyde. I don't think it was really a leather jacket. But uh, she said, did your jacket fit? And I went, yeah, it fit fine. You know, just leave a little bit of icicles dripping off the word there. Then she said to me, I'll never forget it, it was the Sonny Jurgensen football outfit by Huffy. And you had your thigh pads and you had your shoulder pads and your football pants and your jersey and everything was there. And you actually lifted up the box. The face mask for the football helmet came up through the box so that everything was contained right there. We didn't have professional football in Atlanta in those days. And so I had the Sonny Jurgensen Redskins model football outfit. She asked me, how did I like it? Yeah, it's great, mother. You know, if if the word whatever had been around, that's when I would have thrown that one out and rolled my eyes dramatically. And then there was a race car set. Was that the right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything was great. It was just great. I mean, I had such an edge to my voice. And then my mother, you, you ever heard the phrase, the straw that broke the camel's back? Well, my mother decided to drop that straw by being rude enough that after my great disappointment in my life standing there, we're getting ready to have our meal on Christmas Eve, and my mother has the audacity to ask me to walk across the street, directly across the street, to the home of a Mrs. Miller. And Mrs. Miller's husband worked in the rock quarry with my dad. And so Mrs. Miller would make extra money by doing uh, baked goods, you know, whether it was cookies or whether it was pies or whether it was cakes. And my mother looks at me in this moment and says, Ike, would you go across the street to Mrs. Miller's because she's baked us a cake for dessert and I want you to go over there and get the cake. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, You have to understand, if you're trying to visualize this, I'm a really, really skinny little kid, and my mother looks strikingly like Granny Clampett on the Beverly Hillbillies, just to give you kind of a a good, quick visual. And you remember how tough Granny Clampett was? My mother was tougher than Granny Clampett. And so when I said to my mother, when she says to me, would you go over there and get the cake, I looked at my mother and said... If you want that cake so bad, 
Why don't you go get it yourself? I know some of you are sitting there thinking right now, I would have never said that to my mother. Can I tell you something? Up until the moment it came out of my mouth, I would have never said that to my mother. But this also, theologically speaking, uh, was my first near-death experience. And I saw it. it. There was a light. It was up at the end of a long, dark tunnel. And Jesus was there and kind of had his eyes covered up. And he was saying, bring it on home, son, because she's getting ready to kill you. And so in that shock of me telling my mother, if you want the cake so bad, why don't you go get it yourself? My father jumped up, who never jumped up. And you got to understand, my dad working down in that rock quarry, my dad was buff. Uh, I mean, my dad had muscles where you didn't even know muscles could grow. And my dad was a very quiet, calm man. But when I sassed my mother like that, all of a sudden, in a flash, he was up, and he grabbed me by the arm, and he said, son, let me tell you something. When your mother asks you to do something, you do it, and you do it right now. I can remember every feeling I had going through my body. I mean, man, my face was red. I went to our front door to go get that stupid cake from Ms. Miller's. And when I slammed our front door, I tried to slam it hard enough that somehow that door would just come right off the frame. And I remember as I took, there were only two steps off of our porch. As I took that first step, here was my thought. I hope to God that I'm adopted. I do not want to believe that genetically I could possibly be connected to two people who could not get one simple thing straight, and that was all that I want during this holiday season is to be able to have that Schwinn Tiger bicycle. It had been raining that night. It was probably in the 40s, and I'm walking across, straight across the street there to Mrs. Miller's, and she has the hedges with a little white picket gate, and I just kind of kicked her old dumb gate as I walked through the hedges and walked up the sidewalk to her uh, porch, and her porch had an old screen door, and I just kind of grabbed her screen door and yanked it backwards and then walked up on the porch to where her big door was and it had one of those huge glass doors from a house that was built probably in the early 1900s, and I start kind of banging on her door, and so the glass is rattling in the door, and I see Mrs. Miller, who's kind of vertically challenged and rather rotund, making her way up to the door as I'm banging on it, and she flips on the light, and there to my right is a brand new Schwinn Tiger bicycle with those plastic streamers on the handlebars. Now, what's occurring to you right now, because you're much smarter than I am, I'm not a very bright child, as you will realize in just a moment, what's occurring to you is not occurring to me. What I'm thinking is, is this not the way that life goes? Old fat Miss Miller got a Schwinn Tiger bicycle and she couldn't get her fanny on that thing if she had help. Now I'm 12 years old at this point and I'm about to have a stroke and die on that woman's front porch when all of a sudden I hear a voice from across the street, my mother's voice, I bet you you can still hear your mother's voice even if she's gone today and, and gone on to heaven. I bet you can still remember exactly what your parents' voices sounded like and in particular your mom's. 
And I heard her voice say, hey, Ike, how do you like it? And that was the moment I realized that that bike wasn't for Miss Miller, that that bike was for me. And I'm the baby in my family. So all of my, my brother and my two sisters, all of my family are out there on the porch, and they're all saying, hey, that's the right bike, isn't it? I mean, that's the right one, right? I couldn't answer them. I remember three very distinct things as I stood on that front porch. Number one was the tightness in my vocal cords. I couldn't talk. They're all yelling the question, do you like it? Is that the right one? I can't answer. To this day, when I get really emotional, my vocal cords will just tighten up on me. And they tightened up on me that night on that porch as a 12-year-old kid, and I couldn't, I couldn't answer. I couldn't tell them that, yeah, that, that's the one. And as I stood there, I thought about my mother's voice the day at Sunshine's department store when she said, Ike, your dad doesn't make that kind of money. Ike, he doesn't make that kind of money, son. And my dad, every morning of my life, would put on his work boots, big, heavy boots. And he would walk toward my room, and we had a floor furnace that the furnace never worked. And my dad's boots would hit that floor furnace, and then he would knock on my door. And he'd say, hey, Ike, it's time to get up. You know, my dad was such a good man. I never have to wonder if my dad was going to be there. Now, he worked six days a week. But I always knew that my dad was going to be there. He was just one of those strong types. This week, we've had the passing of President Bush. He was one of those types of men. My dad went off into the military when he was 35 years old, and he had three kids at home. I hadn't yet come into the world, and it was World War II. And my dad went and fought in a war and was there until the war was over. I never had to wonder if he was going to be there. I knew he would be there. He always had a dry sense of humor. Years later, I was sitting on his front porch with him at his farm, and I said, you know, Dad, I never had to worry about things when I was a kid because I always knew that you would handle it. I always knew that you would take care of things. And there was a moment in my life when I was probably about 11 years old that uh, Khrushchev, the Russian premier, was in a commercial that would come on, and it would show him taking off his shoe in the U.N. showing disdain, and he would pound it on the lectern, and he was speaking Russian, and there would be subtitles that said, we will bury you. We will bury you. And the fear of communism and the Cold War and all those things are very palatable. The, the fear of the Cuban Missile Crisis, that's the time that I was growing up in. And I told my dad sitting with him that day, I said, you know what? I never feared Khrushchev coming to my house. I never worried about the communists coming through our door because I knew that you were there and you would handle it. You would take care of it. And my dad kind of smiled and nodded and said, you know, Ike, to the best of my knowledge, not one communist ever got through our door. And I thought, well, you know, all of my confidence was well-founded. 
He was that kind of a guy. And those old work boots would hit that floor. There'd be the knock on that door for me to get up. So here's what I thought that night on the porch. How many times did his boots have to hit that furnace for me to get what I demanded? Not what I wanted. It was way beyond wanted. It was what I demanded. It was what I expected. It was what I felt entitled to. How many times did his boots hit that floor to get me my demands? The other thing I remember is I remember on my face, it was really, really hot. And I felt, and it was tears. Don't ever remember them coming into my eyes. I just remember they were already on my face. So I'm standing there hearing my mother say, your daddy doesn't make that kind of money, son. And as I stand there, I thought to myself, now, let me preface this by saying my family did not go to church. We, we didn't attend or do anything like that, not even on Christmas and Easter. We'd go back to the mountains of North Carolina and the Nanahala Gorge, the place where my family emanates from. And so we, we never went to church, so I, I didn't grow up being a, a church-going kid or anything like that. But I prayed that night. I believe it's the first conscious prayer that I ever remember praying. And all I prayed was this. I just said, God, I don't ever want to feel like this again. I want you to make me a giver and not a taker. God, I just don't ever want to want something the way I've wanted this. I'm 12 years old. I'm humiliated standing there on Mrs. Miller's porch. My family's across the street, all on our little tiny porch. And I believe that the greatest Christmas gift I got that year was that God answered my prayer. And it was absolutely free. I've never wanted anything since that day like that. As a matter of fact, I much rather give. There's something about giving. There's something about doing things for people that um, could never do anything for you. That you can have that moment in time where you can truly be an agent of good and impact people's lives. And I guess that's why I love Christmas so much. I love it because it seems like people's hearts are a little softer. It seems like their antennas are a little more attuned to other people and not just themselves. And that we can impact the lives of people around us. Because you see, Christmas can be a dark time. And the Bible predicted about Jesus over in Isaiah chapter 9 that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And that's what the birth of Jesus is. It's about enlightenment. It's about lighting up our world. It's about lighting up our senses. And I can promise you this. 
If you're a giver, you're going to be so much happier than takers. If you can learn to be that abundance mentality person versus a scarcity mentality, because you know the scarcity mentality person, they go, man, life is like a pizza, and you can only cut it so many ways, and if your piece is bigger than mine, then somehow I've gotten cheated here. But the abundance mentality person says, no, life's not a pizza. Life's a candle. And it doesn't matter how many times if my candle's lit that I light other people's candles. It doesn't matter how many times I light their candles. It doesn't diminish the light from my candle at all. All it does is make the world a brighter place. You know what? We need the world to be a brighter place. So a few years back, probably about nine years ago now, Everybody was at our home on Christmas Eve on top of Lost Mountain. And we were all gathered in, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, and there was a at our front door. My wife, Robin, looked at me and said, who in the world would be coming up to our door at 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve? And I said, I don't know. I said, you should go check. And she said, well, you should go check. It could be bad news. And I said, no then you need to go check because she's tougher than I am. And she said, get to the front door. I walked to my front door and I swung it open. And I promise you, right in front of me, a Schwinn Tiger bicycle, 1962 model with a huge red bow that my wife had scoured on eBay and found for me. It is a treasure for me. It's something that today sits in my office, not sits, it actually hangs on my wall in my office. And it reminds me every day in my role as president and CEO of Must Ministries, it reminds me every day that my life is not about me, that my life is about others. And that if I learn to focus on others and help to meet the needs in their life, then they're going to help me meet the needs in my life. It's Christmas. It's a time to make a difference in other people's lives. The people who've sat in darkness have seen a great light, and we get to continue to be a reflection of His light today. And oh, by the way, now I'm as vertically challenged as Miss Miller, and I couldn't get my fanny up on that bicycle if I had help. Hey, Merry Christmas. I love you and appreciate you each one, and I pray that this is your blessed season.